This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. So it's with absolute pleasure that I get to interview my guests from week to week. I get to share information with all of you that I hope will help you live your best life. The past couple of years has presented so many challenges. COVID-19 has changed us all in so many ways. In fact, it has left many of us wondering if things will ever be the same. But despite what has happened in the world, one thing that did not change was the number of individuals that were diagnosed with cancer. This disease did not stop or halt in its tracks because of COVID. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Marcus Bernardini. He is the Director of Gynecological Oncology at Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, my pleasure. So it's a big day today. Now, the word cancer is enough to put people in a panic, and it's no wonder. So when I read the statistics, it's one in two Canadians are expected to develop cancer. One in four Canadians are expected to die from cancer. Now, I'm a very positive person, so I want to focus on all the amazing work that you are doing in cancer research, as well as the fundraising campaigns that you have going on. So I understand that much of your research and work is focused on ovarian cancer. Yes, uh, um, the um, ovarian cancer being um, the type of cancer that is unfortunately the one that is the most lethal when it comes to gynecologic malignancies. We have spent a lot of time and there's been a lot of research that's been done to try to improve those statistics and obviously improve also the lives of women living with the disease. Um, and so we do spend a lot of, of our efforts in, in ovarian cancer research. And so you, you said something that I'm curious about. So women surviving or, or dealing with ovarian cancer, what is the survival rate for women who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer? So one of the uh, most important things for, for people to know is that there are different types of ovarian cancer. Um, and it's always challenging when you lump all of them together under one name because some behave very differently than others. And that's the reason that some um, listeners might have a situation where they hear of a story and, and, and the outcome is very different than maybe what they were reading or hearing about something else. And that's just because there are different types of ovarian cancer. Um, the one that we think of, for most people think of, you know, um, is, is, which is the most common type, is a type that unfortunately identifies in the advanced stage most of the time. And there's been a lot of work done over the years in trying to determine if we can identify it early. And people talk about screening and doing ultrasounds and, and blood tests and CA-125. And it's probably just inherent in that disease itself um, that it, it doesn't really give you an opportunity to have an early stage, almost like an early stage doesn't exist for that particular type of cancer. And so, so much of the work um, is around prevention where possible, trying to figure out what someone's risk is, and then obviously trying to come up with the best treatments possible for women who are diagnosed with it. Now, if you ask on a broad sense, what is the survival of women being uh, diagnosed with this most typical type of ovarian cancer, we have a five-year survival rate of about 30%. And so that's not a very good number, obviously, and that's a number that we're working very hard to improve, and I would say we have made improvements, certainly over the last five to 10 years, some big improvements. 
That yeah, thirty percent. I mean, wow, and that's only five years. Like that's you know that that would be a scary diagnosis for any woman who's dealing with ovarian cancer. Now, is there a particular age group that you see a higher incidence in ovarian cancer diagnoses? So when we talk about the median age, meaning uh, that that age that half the people are higher, half the people are lower, it's it's in the late fifties. Um, so it, it is a disease that, unlike some diseases where you're much older when people get the diagnosis, that, that's an age group which we would still consider relatively young. Mm-hmm. For women who are at higher risk of developing the cancer through a genetic predisposition, um, we can see cancers as early as 35 in that uh, age group, uh, sorry, in that uh, particular group, and therefore um, we really, really recommend that if anybody in their family has a history of ovarian cancer or even breast cancer because the two are linked, they really need to look into genetic testing to find out if they're at increased risk. So, I mean, nobody wants to get the diagnosis of cancer, but the reality is we, we've read the statistics, so there are going to be a large number of people diagnosed with any cancer. And we know that Princess Margaret is doing incredible work. So tell us a little bit about the work that is happening there and what is cancer? what does cancer care look like at Princess Margaret? So one of the things we initiated about two years ago when it comes specifically to ovarian cancer um, is the development of a specific program around it. Um, when we think of, of medicine, um, and historically over time, obviously you have specialists and, and uh, you know patients come and get care, but the care they get may not be exactly the same from one person to another. Um, and we really felt in a disease like this where we really need to make sure that uh, we leave n- nothing, if you will, to chance and, and make sure that we're covering every element we wanted to create a structure where every single individual was going to get the exact same care, and that care is based on evidence-based uh, uh, analysis and treatment to make the right decision at the right time, very much individualizing and personalizing the care. Um, and, and that has been a, a tremendous uh, thing, I think, for patients. Uh, we hear testimonials all the time as they, as they come to us, and, and, and they just can't imagine all the things that happen in a coordinated fashion very early on. Because as you can imagine, um, it's a very difficult time for patients early in the diagnosis. Um, and, and the best that we can do is to support them in every way. So that program has really been quite remarkable. Um, the other part, uh, the other program that we've been really excited about um, was uh, an establishment of, of prevention, if you will, um, because there's a lot of women who out there were at risk and they didn't know it. And we created this campaign to help identify those women. And and we had quite an impact in that program. So those are just a couple of things. But at at the back end, at the molecular level, there are lots and lots of uh, great things being done. Clinical studies, looking at newer chemotherapy agents, uh, innovative surgical techniques. Um, It's really quite broad. And I like the idea that it is individualized. Um, and I like the idea of trying to focus on prevention. So let's talk a little bit about how that works. So is it early diagnosis? Is it early symptoms? Is it how do you know what risk factors you might have as a woman? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yes, no, absolutely. So the greatest risk um, is is a genetic one. Uh, for women that have a mutation, and, and many people have heard of BRCA1 and BRCA2 or, 
like some people like to refer to them, the Angelina Jolie genes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, with her coming forward uh, several years back in terms of her own diagnosis, um, uh, has created a lot of awareness, and that's probably the greatest uh, thing that that increases someone's risk. Over the last few years, we've discovered newer genes that also put people at risk, and that's why it's critical if there is any, um, again, ovarian cancer or breast cancer in someone's family, that they should talk to their doctor about potential genetic testing. Um, the early detection, as I mentioned earlier, is, is very challenging. Um, there are many studies that have been done looking at doing ultrasounds once a year or doing that CA-125 blood test once a year. And it has been very successful, and it's not because the tests themselves aren't good. It's just the nature of the disease itself. Um, one thing I, you know, what we do know is that even though the cancer can present in a more advanced stage, that the earlier it's identified is still the better. And so, you know, women should not ignore symptoms if they're having challenges in terms of eating or feeling more bloated than usual or... Um, um, having having symptoms where they having difficulty going to the bathroom, uh, they've never had that before. Those are symptoms, obviously, that in themselves, every one of us have had at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to live uh, in, in you know a life of 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 complete fear at all times. But at the same time, you know, I usually what I tell patients: if you have some symptoms and they last for more than two weeks. You know, you're having something and it's just going on. It's just, you know, you have it, sometimes it comes and goes, but this is really lasting longer. You should get your, you go to your doctor and get that assessed. I think that's probably the best advice. If something is kind of lingering and it hasn't ever lasted this long, definitely get it checked out. Now, we know that cancer didn't stop in the last 18 months to two years. So how has COVID-19 impacted cancer care? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a, a, a tough question and and a tough answer for those of us who've been living um, in this environment. Um, as you said, um, cancer did not stop during the pandemic, and the problem was that we were very focused on COVID nineteen, and rightfully so because it was a disease that, uh, in a way, was presenting like no other, um, and so we had to make decisions. But the downstream effects of those decisions is that people ignored other elements of their health for fear of Mm COVID-19. And uh, we were worried early on that we would see some downstream effects of that, and we are seeing them. And what that means is that cancers are presenting later than they were before. Uh, We're seeing some presentations that we just hadn't seen in years because of, for example, cervical cancer screening essentially stopped in the entire period during COVID. It was difficult for patients to get to their primary care practitioners. And um, it it all amounted to now us definitely seeing um, what we would consider uh, more difficult cases than we would have seen in the past. And so how has Princess Margaret adapted to these trying times in order to continue to ensure the best in cancer care? And is there a new normal in cancer care? So I think one of the things that um, COVID um, was able to do was obviously to force us to pivot in certain areas to see if we can improve things. 
And I think there are some examples where virtual care um, has uh, come into the fold and been beneficial. Um, uh, some of that has to do with outreach, where people in, in rare communities, more rural communities, um, don't have access to necessarily the care and we're able to provide that in a better way. Um, obviously, the challenges like uh, backlogs in the operating room to try to get people to there um, and, and the backups in clinics because obviously the uh, referrals have now increased. I think the best I can say, and this is really a motto that all uh, members of Princess Margaret hold, um, that we, we're going to do all that it takes to make sure that any person that comes to Princess Margaret gets the best possible care they can. And, and so we're all working a little harder um, we're all, you know, trying to um, uh, make up for some of the challenges that exist in, in the best way possible. So we certainly don't want a patient that comes to Princess Margaret to feel that somehow their care is being compromised. And we thank you all so much for that amazing work and all of your extra work during these trying times. And we all know that philanthropy is a great way to raise money for research. And Princess Margaret is doing an amazing uh, job through the foundation. And um, would you say that right now philanthropy is more important than ever because we've kind of had a huge break and a huge pause in doing any major fundraising? Yes, absolutely. Um, we we are very blessed in Canada with a single payer healthcare system. As many listeners probably are aware, it is the only system uh, of this kind in the world, uh, with the exception of North Korea. But we probably wouldn't use North Korea as an example for many things to compare ourselves with. But what that means is that there is no other entry for support. Uh, there's no other entry of funds. There's only one uh, area that it comes from, and that's an area that is strapped, um, just like everything else in our society, education, infrastructure, and now obviously COVID uh, played a large part in that. And so philanthropy is a way for the citizens to say, we love our healthcare system. We want to maintain that healthcare system, but we also realize that it needs help, and we want to do our part to help it. And as for where to direct funds, because all places uh, obviously uh, need support, um, I think that's a personal decision. And, and for your listeners, they have different reasons to provide support to different places. Um, one of the things that I have always been very proud of um, at Princess Margaret, we take every dollar that gets donated extremely seriously and make sure that it's being utilized to its absolute maximum potential. Uh, that's such a comforting statement, I think, for all listeners to know that every donation that we make um, is going to be utilized properly and for research and for advancing in cancer research and care. But I can't wait to hear all about how you are the reigning top fundraiser for a special event that's happening today. When we come back, the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer Fundraiser. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059theregion or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. There are so many people doing amazing work and today is one of those days. 
Since 2011, the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer has been raising money and awareness. And as I mentioned before the break, Dr. Bernardini is the top reigning fundraiser for this event. So, Dr. Bernardini, you see firsthand how cancer impacts the lives of so many patients, families, friends. What is your mission through your participation in this annual event? So the first thing is I have to do a shout out to uh, a tremendous um, fundraiser. Uh, his name is Bruce McKay, who just last night surpassed me as the top fundraiser for this event. And he has been through his uh, his firm, Hatch Consulting, such a tremendous supporter of this event over the years. So a big shout out to Bruce and all the, all the team members at Hatch. Um, this event is... Is, is just a great event that when I initially heard about it uh, 10 years ago, um, I, I was all in right from the beginning. Um, there are many different types of fundraising events, um, and as I as explained earlier, uh, the need for that. And one of the things that the road hockey event brings is a sense of team. It, it, it brings a sense of camaraderie. And so whereas a lot of events, whether it's a walk or a run or a cycle, uh, these are all sort of individual um, uh, items and elements of, of someone to, to provide their support. Um, the, the fact that you're a member of a team really brings that home in, in the road hockey. And so you're not just a member of your own team, but you're a member of the broader team. Uh, and there's nothing more emotional than on the day of. You see over a thousand people that have come together for that single cause of, of raising funds. And, and so it's, it's really a, a great event uh, for that reason. Well, congratulations to Bruce and his team at Hatch Consulting. Um, but I know that you have a great team also, and you guys are called the Ovarian Blitzers. Am I right? That is correct. <laughs> so for that, and we we, uh, we have been the, the reigning top fundraising team, and, and that's not just for me. Uh, that's for the team members that I have. Um, uh, just and they've uh, the majority have been with me um, for all 10 years. And for your listeners... Um, if you're if you're interested in participating uh, in next year, for example, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know RoadHockeyToConquerCancer.ca. Uh, it's an easy link to get to. You don't have to be a great hockey player. It's not about that. It's about getting the sticks out there and 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 um, and participating. And what I can tell you, um, the event there was we weren't sure if we could hold the event this year. Obviously, given the uncertainty and what it takes to organize something like this. Uh, but the organizers took a chance. It was the right chance. And it, it's a real tribute that I, I, I think and my understanding is that the number of teams participating, uh, which every year was growing, because once someone participates, they, they feel that need to come back. It's just such a positive day. And they almost hit the, 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 the top level of teams this year, even given the pandemic and all the challenges, which really is a tribute to how amazing this event is. And so this is the first in-person event since COVID, right? So it means that fundraising through this event has kind of been delayed? Correct. Um, you know, I think like every uh, everybody and every organization, the foundation has had to be careful in making decisions. Uh, safety is paramount for, for all people and participants. Um, and ultimately, uh, the decision was to um, move forward and have a, a, an in-person event. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, because you're in close quarters uh, in, in certain things, it is outside. Uh, there are, uh, 
safety precautions that have been put in place in terms of uh, COVID-19 restrictions and and such, but they've put together a real safe uh, environment. And again, I I think it's going to be a very emotional day. Um, Again, I think for a lot of your listeners, um, and I I think all of us have dealt with COVID differently, but there are a lot of people who have not done anything uh, that they would normally have done pre-COVID still to this day. And, and being part of something like this, which many of those people who are going to be there have been doing over the years, I think is going to be incredibly emotional. I, I, You know what? I was just thinking the same thing. It's been a long haul. And some people, you're right, have dealt with COVID differently. Some people have tried to kind of get on with things now that the numbers are dropping and the vaccination rates are a little bit higher. I was feeling emotional when I was online looking at the event and learning about the event and realizing how much money has been raised to date. It sounds like it's an amazing event. My question to you is, do are some of the participants like cancer survivors? Is that, you know, is that kind of what attracts people to the event? Is it families that get together? Tell us a little bit about what the event is like. What can somebody expect once they are participating or once they've decided to participate? Well, you know, uh, first of all, the team is, is, is exceptional in helping people. Um, you know, if you're a new team and, you, and you're interested in, in wanting to participate or you're even just an individual and wanting to learn more, uh, reaching out again, roadhockeytoconquercancer.ca. Um, it, it, the, the team is, has a lot of help to provide that information. Um, the answer to how do people get involved or what draws them, it's variable. So there's lots of uh, teams that are playing for a particular individual, someone who's either battling cancer now or, or who unfortunately succumbed to cancer. Um, there are teams that, that just were reading about it and they came one year and just it's such a positive event, they, they just felt they had to come back. Um, obviously, there are some who are in the medical community. Um, I, I don't think there is a single person who would say that they didn't, feel that the event was positive. And so there is no specific uh, mold that who you have to be to participate. Anybody who's interested in a really positive environment who likes hockey, um, uh, it, it should should check it out again at uh, roadhockey.conquercancer.ca. And um, I, I promise it'll be a positive experience. And so you don't necessarily have to play. You can enter as a volunteer and you can do, you know, work uh, part of the charity, part of the fundraiser, but not actually be playing the sport, correct? Absolutely. With any of these events, uh, they're always welcome volunteers um, because, the, 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 you know, they really are quite massive undertakings. So, uh, again, going to the website, you're able to um, uh, see how to participate uh, our event this year is, is uh, upcoming this Saturday, so obviously we're super excited about that. But again, I, I think for any, any listener uh, that might be interested in any way, um, you can enroll at any point in time for next year um, uh, to, to, to formulate a team if that's of your interest um, and, and, or, or participate in any way. 
That's amazing. And before we kind of close up here, end the segment, I'm wondering if you have any last words or any uh, advice that you can give to anybody who might be dealing personally with cancer. I know the reaction is always to panic. I know the word cancer always creates that feeling of doom and gloom. Um, But are there any positive words that you can offer to somebody who might be, even a family member who might be dealing with somebody who's been diagnosed with any cancer? Well, as you said at the beginning of the segment, uh, that it's estimated that one in two people will uh, develop cancer in their lifetime. And, you know, I think there was a time in history where cancer was a really nasty word. Um, You know, you you sort of whispered in the corner, oh, did you hear so-and-so, they have Mm -hmm. cancer. And and I think that the biggest thing to do is to, 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 to lose that stigma. We need to change our way of looking at this. Um, cancer is really a disease like any other disease, um, and yes, there are some difficult outcomes, but we've made tremendous advances. Um, uh, more people are being cured, more people are being identified early, uh, treatments are better, people are living longer, people are living better with cancer, so even though someone may have a journey that may last 10 years, that journey looks so much better than it did uh, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And so... I think the, 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 what I would say is, you know, first and foremost, make sure you are comfortable that the place you're getting your care are truly the experts of the field. Um, and, and that's number one. And then once you establish that, then it's really around uh, being positive and, and, again, looking at this disease really like many other diseases that we deal with every day. And that's a very valid point. And you mentioned earlier that cancer care at Princess Margaret is a team effort. So you, so any individual will have a team kind of working on them from like their mental health to their physical health. Probably they have some family or group counseling that they're offering as well to families and individuals. Is that correct? Yes. And this is the thing that the philanthropy really, really helps with because when you have a situation where the system is somewhat strapped, and I think we have to talk openly that our healthcare system is strapped and, and there are challenges with it. Um, so what ends up happening is you end up cutting to the level of the skeleton. The bare bones still need to be provided, but some of the supporting elements uh, become more challenging. And that's something at Princess Margaret that we have really paid attention to and felt that as much, obviously, in delivering the best clinical care we have to provide the best supportive care as well, and we've done that. And the efforts and the funds raised from events like Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer do exactly that. So that's exactly right. I love that, and I can't thank you enough. And on behalf of the listeners, I thank you for making cancer uh, sound slightly more positive, understanding that we do have to change the stigma. There are outcomes that aren't always negative. We just have to work as a team on many levels. And you're right, philanthropy is a big way to help continue on with the research. I can't thank you enough for joining me today. And although it's game day today, cancer never stops, so donations are always welcome. If listeners want to learn more about how to donate to the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer, how can they do that? So the best thing is just to go onto the website, uh, roadhockeytoconquercancer.ca, um, and then you can choose uh, different teams. Uh, obviously, uh, Ovarian Blitzers is our team, um, and we obviously welcome any donations that go towards uh, the research that we do. But you can find other uh, teams for which to, to support, and so it's, it's, um, that's the simplest way to do it. 
Thank you so much. And good luck to the ovarian blitzers today. Um, if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Claudia underscore Michaela or my website. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of it, go to 105.9theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at healthyplanetcanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.